Father God, thank you for this night, Lord. Thank you for this time and space to gather together. Lord, that we can just come together as, as a church and that we can hear from your word. And God, as we were just singing, Lord, I just pray that tonight as we study your word, as we give ourselves to the teaching of your word, that we would be growing in our recognition of what your voice sounds like. That our time spent in your word would sharpen our hearing to hear your voice above all the other distracting voices in our world that are competing for our attention, for our affections, for our desire. But Lord, that as we give ourselves to your teaching tonight, Lord, would we hear your voice? Would we hear the truth of your love for us, who you say we are, how you have come to establish your kingdom and you are calling us into that? Lord, would we hear that call clearly and would we respond? Lord, we love you and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is the message that John the Baptist is preaching as he prepares the way for Jesus, this promised Messiah that was to come. We get that in the beginning of Matthew, that that is how John the Baptist starts off his ministry. And then in the following chapter, Jesus has the same imperative, the same call. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so this call to the, to the Jewish people, to Israel, who would hear John the Baptist and would hear Jesus, it would not have been out of the blue or some random thing that they had to say, okay, who is this lunatic? Though some people thought John was a lunatic and Jesus, but those were for other reasons. But this is something that would have been on the mind of the Jews, all the Jews who know their scriptures, who know the story of their people. And what John and Jesus are proclaiming, this is something this people group would have been waiting for a really long time to hear. So if we're looking back, when we come and we're diving into our new series in Matthew, we're coming to the part in our Bible in a year where we're in the New Testament. And when you're looking at the Bible and just taking in that visual account, we're looking at all this history and we're at this point right here. And what we see at the beginning of Matthew is a call to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So when we just do a brief overview of these last, um, in my Bible, thousand and something pages, we're looking at a God who has established the nation of Israel, and he is the one who rules over them. He's the one who has delivered them out of Egypt. He brings them to the promised land, and he fights all these battles, and he delivers them. He conquers. He shows himself to be in authority, that he is powerful, and he can be trusted as their ruler. But yet Israel, later in their history, still decides to demand a king. That they want a king to rule over them so that they can be like the other nations. This was wrong for Israel to ask for a king in the first place because of their heart motivation behind it, to be like the other nations. This was wrong in the first place because God himself is their king and they're requesting something that God is already doing. But he does provide a king. He provides Saul as their first king and he's not great. 
And Samuel calls them out. Samuel the prophet, he comes and he calls them out and shows Israel, reveals to them their sin in their hearts for demanding this king. And they repent of it. They recognize we were wrong to do this. But after Saul, God anoints David as king, and David is a good king. David gets the reputation of a man after God's own heart. He has his fair share of failures and his sin, but we also see that he has his share of repentance and confession and turning back to the Lord. And so God makes a covenant with David that his throne will be established forever. That David as king, your throne in your kingdom, it will be established forever. When we come to 2 Samuel 7, God is making a covenant with David, and he's telling him, your throne will be established forever. That is an incredible thing to think about. Your dynasty that I'm going to build, it is going to continue forever. Your kingdom, it's going to last forever. And we know if you've been reading with us, you see that Israel cycles through kings, and there are some that just go from bad to worse to totally against God, forgetting anything about what Yahweh has commanded and how he has asked Israel to live. And so when we come to the New Testament and we look at where Israel is at and we think back to this Davidic covenant of like, okay, he's going to keep David's line going forever. He's going to establish his kingdom forever. When we come to the New Testament, when Matthew, the timeline of where we're at when we get into Matthew Israel doesn't have a king. Israel's gone into exile. They've been brought out of exile, and they do not have a king on the throne. And when we get to Matthew, they're actually being ruled by the Roman Empire. And so we're thinking, okay, what about this promise from God for David's line to go on forever? And then we get to Matthew, and it opens up with a genealogy. And as we learned on Sunday, genealogies are very important. The first line in the book of Matthew, it says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Matthew's gospel opens with the genealogy of Jesus, connecting him to David and fulfilling the messianic king to come through the line of David. And it's also connecting back, if you saw there at the end, It's connecting him back to Abraham. So he's fulfilling the promises to bless the nations through this messianic king as well. And so we see that Jesus is the messianic king who was to come. And we get a glimpse of his kingdom, how his kingdom operates. And that is by being a blessing to all the nations. And so he doesn't just fulfill the Davidic covenant or the Abrahamic covenant, but that he is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament promises. As we talked about on Sunday, he is the, the ultimate faithfulness of the Lord. We see all of the promises that is in all this history of Israel as a people are being fulfilled in this Messiah that is to come. And so he doesn't just fulfill this Davidic covenant, but that, in the, that he is fulfilling, sorry, all of the Old Testament promises, but that he is the coming king and he is the continuation of the story of God that goes all the way back to Genesis 1 where God is ruling in the beginning. So the kingdom 
is a major theme that we're going to see in the book of Matthew, Matthew's gospel specifically. So that leads us to, we want to ask the question in this series, what is the kingdom? If we're going to be talking about the kingdom, what is the kingdom? And so because we are as a church, if you're in the Bible in a reading, Bible in a year reading plan, as we're approaching the gospels, when we think about the kingdom, there are many different ways that you can talk about the kingdom. So there is this basic equivalence assumed between all of these different terms given to the kingdom, and they're deciding this is talking about this message that Christ is heralding. And so it could be referred to as just the kingdom, the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of the Father, kingdom of Jesus, kingdom of the Son of Man. When you're coming across all these different ones, depending on which gospel you are in, you're just supposed to assume we're talking about the same thing. So what is the kingdom? A basic definition is that it is the redemptive rule and reign of God in Christ. The kingdom of heaven is the redemptive rule and reign of God in Christ. So if we're going back to the beginning in Genesis, God is the creator of all things. He has authority over all things. That is what the first two chapters of our Bible are establishing, that he has created all things. He is the one who gets to say how things work and how things do not work in his good and perfect creation. In Genesis 3, humanity goes against God's authority. And the curse of sin and evil has entered the world and affected everything in God's good creation. And it has affected how humanity relates to God and to one another. The kingdom of heaven is used to describe how God is asserting his authority in conquering sin and death and the redemption of sinners in Christ. That reconciliation of humanity back to God. And this is being accomplished by the promised Messiah, the King of all kings, the one who was and is and is to come. So when I say a phrase like that, the one who was and is and is to come, when we go back to that first phrase that John the Baptist and Jesus both used, when they're saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Some of your Bibles may not use at hand, they may, it might use the translation has drawn near. And so the author, he's using a form of this word to indicate that the kingdom, it has been established. That it is a past reality that hap has happened. It has been established, but it has ongoing effect. That it will continue to be established. That the kingdom is here, it has arrived, but it has ongoing. It will continue to advance. So when we're thinking about what is the kingdom, we want to look at the realities that there's a present reality and a future reality to it. That's this idea that it has been established, but there's future effects, that it is ongoing. So the present reality, when we're looking at the kingdom of heaven, is that Jesus came to earth. God himself came to earth as the person of Jesus. And he had an earthly ministry teaching about the kingdom of God. And that's what we're going to be studying in this series specifically and he's displaying his redemptive powers, that he is God, and he does have authority, and he does have the ability to redeem. And he shows that by confronting evil when he's healing the sick, when he's casting out demons, and performing all these other miracles. And ultimately, he's conquering sin and death on the cross, and his victorious resurrection that offers salvation to you, to me, 
to all who put their trust in him and follow him. That is the present reality of the kingdom. Then there's this future reality of the kingdom that Jesus did come to earth, but that Jesus is also coming back and his kingdom will be complete. There will be a complete consummation of his kingdom. For now, his kingdom, it is advancing throughout the world. Right now, here we are on August 16th, 2022, and God's kingdom is still going forward in all areas of the earth. It is advancing. And he uses his followers to be a part of that kingdom, to be a part of that advancement of his kingdom. And we look forward to and we long for that day when it is fully complete. The fullness of God's kingdom is what we will be studying. What does that look like? What will the fullness of God's kingdom look like? And how do we start living in that reality now? And so Jesus, he uses these parables in Matthew 13 that we're going to take a deep dive into for these next several weeks to help us understand these present but also future aspects of the kingdom and the time in between that we find ourselves right now. That you and I, being Christians here in Mesa, Arizona, this in-between time that Jesus came already his first time, but that we are still waiting for his second return and what that in-between time looks like. And so that is what these parables in Matthew 13 are pointing us to. So that leads me to my next question. When we're talking about Matthew 13 and the parables, what is a parable? What is a parable? We want to have an understanding. If we're going to be looking for the next couple weeks at parables specifically, what are parables? And so an easy definition is that a parable is a story. It is a practical story. It's often framed with a simile. What's a simile? What's a simile? Man, your teachers would all be so proud. You guys are so smart. Yeah, it's a comparison using like or as. And so like you can see in our uh, series title, the kingdom of heaven is like. Jesus is using a simile here to to show a comparison. Then he's going to tell a story, a practical story. And what that story is going to do is that it illustrates a spiritual truth. So a parable is a practical story often framed as a simile that illustrates a spiritual truth. And so when we're looking at a parable and how it's written and what it's designed to do, there's three things that we want to make sure we make note of, of how to read a parable. The first one that we want to take into account is the hearer's perspective. With a parable, Jesus is using it. He's teaching an audience. He's verbally teaching them. They're not reading this. It's what they would hear. And so Jesus is using languages, language and pictures that are familiar to his audience that he's telling this parable to. If you were here on Sunday, Kyle reminded us that this book right here, the Bible, it is not written to us. It is not written to American Christians who live in Mesa, Arizona in 2022. It is written for us, and it is written to guide us, but it is not written to us. And so we want to make sure that as we are hearing, we're listening and reading these parables, that we envision what would the original hearers have thought? What would, <clears throat> what would they hear? An example of this, this is not a parable that we will go through, but when we think of maybe this common parable, the Good Samaritan, 
when Jesus is telling the story about the Good Samaritan, all of us could sit and go, oh, that's a really nice story. We should all be Good Samaritans and we should help people. But if we don't think about the original audience, the Jews who heard it, who it was culturally acceptable for them to have it out for the Samaritans, to not like them, to think of them as enemies. So when Jesus is talking about the Good Samaritan, and the Good Samaritan is the hero of the story, a parable that's been used to ask, who is my neighbor? We have to think, how would that have landed on the ears of those Jews who it's been culturally taught that it's okay for us to not really care, to think less of the Samaritans? When we come to these parables, when it's using language that we're not super familiar with, like next week the parable we're getting into, it's going to be talking about farm language. Some of you in here may really know a lot about farming. Others of you, like myself, may say, I go to Sprouts or I go to Fry's to get my vegetation. So I'm not super familiar with this. Those are things that we want to be thinking about. It's a language that's not always right away super familiar to us. So taking the hearer's perspective. The second thing with each parable, we want to understand what is the main point? What is the main point? What is the primary truth that this author is trying to convey? using this story. We don't want to look at so much all of the symbolism equivalents for every little detail. We don't want to get bogged down and say, here's the story that was told. Okay, I'm supposed to find some kind of meaning in it and this detail. Well, what does this detail mean? What does this detail mean? If the Bible doesn't do that, and the, the nice thing about the next parable, the next two parables, well, I guess it's the first two parables that we'll look at, Jesus actually explains it for us. And what we'll see is that not every detail of the, of the parable has a direct equivalent symbolism to apply to life. So what we want to see is what is the primary truth that author is communicating. And then we want to know from that truth, how is that? How am I to change from that? These truths are meant to change us. These, art, these parables are used to challenge the way that people think by doing it through story. So then the next question that we want to ask is why did Jesus use parables? Why did he use these stories to teach about all sorts of things in the kingdom? And I mean, I think we can all think when somebody is teaching, when they can tell a good story... They've got us locked in. When Alan Garcia preaches, he tells a story like nobody's business. He could be telling a story and you're like, how in the world is this going to connect to the sermon? And then he does it and you're like, whew, that was good. And you're giving him snaps and you're going up to him afterwards. I always enjoy a good story because it's something that we can relate to. So when we think about why did Jesus use the parables, I don't have to sit and come up with an answer because thankfully for us, Jesus' disciples asked him the same question. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to Matthew 13, we will look at just what Jesus had to say. Matthew 13, and I'm going to be in verse 10. Then the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. 
This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are you, but blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So one of the first things that Jesus says, it says, to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. The secrets of the kingdom of heaven, or another word that could be used there is the mystery of the kingdom of heaven. It was common knowledge that God would send a Messiah. That's what this whole thing was building up to. This is what these people have been waiting for, the long-awaited Messiah. Common knowledge that God would send a Messiah. But how this Messiah would conquer and establish his kingdom, that remained a mystery. And so the parables help illustrate what kind of king Jesus is and what his kingdom is like. And so Jesus, this little section in here, starting in 14 and through 15, Jesus quotes this passage that's from Isaiah 6. And this is where God has commissioned Isaiah with a message for the people of Israel. But he tells Isaiah that they will not receive his message. They're not going to receive it because their eyes cannot see and their ears cannot hear. And though this is not because of physical disability that they have to see or to hear, but it's a spiritual disability to hear and to see that stems from having a dull heart, a heart. It's a heart issue that is causing them not to perceive or to hear having a dull heart, a heart that needs healing, a heart of stone that needs to be turned to a heart of flesh, a heart opposed to God that needs to repent and receive him as Lord and submit to his rule and reign. So just as Isaiah was bringing a message that would not be received, many people would see Jesus, they would see his miracles, they would hear his teachings, They would see him cast demons out. They would see all sorts of things showing his power and showing his confrontation of evil and that they would reject him as the Messiah and they would reject his kingdom just as Isaiah would be rejected because their hearts were dull. They would not be able to see or hear and have understanding due to a heart issue within themselves. And so that goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning. When John the Baptist is preparing the way for Jesus, and Jesus himself begins his ministry, the first thing that he does before announcing the arrival of the kingdom is implore them, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Turn from the direction you are going with a dull and stubborn heart, and receive the healing and redemption that I have come to bring as the Messiah. 
In verse 12, Jesus had said, For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But for the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. So Jesus is saying the one who has, meaning the one who has a heart ready to receive, a repented heart, will receive and will receive in abundance. The ones who had the heart ready to listen and to receive. Jesus as the Messiah. Jesus as the one who can determine how things work and do not work in God's good and perfect world. The one who has the heart to receive is the one who will have understanding and more will be given. So I'm excited for us to go through and look at all of these different parables and for us to gain a deeper understanding of God's kingdom and understand our roles. If you are a follower of Jesus in here, if Jesus is king in your life, this is an incredible calling that we are walking as kingdom workers, that everywhere we go is an opportunity to bring about the kingdom. Jesus initially brings the kingdom. And then when you put your faith in Jesus, that he is king, he is Lord of your life, and you are a follower of him, you are now somebody who is ushering in the kingdom. Everywhere that we go, into our schools, into our sports teams, into our extracurriculars, into our families, into our families who are not believers, Everywhere we go, we are people who get to bring the good news of the kingdom. We get to play a part by the leading of the Holy Spirit and by God's grace in our life of advancing the kingdom. And that is such a privilege to be a part of. And so my hope is that as we get a deeper understanding of what God's kingdom is like and what is to come in the future, that an excitement would burn in us just to be called to his kingdom, to be kingdom workers, and to see the privilege that we have, that he would use people like me People like your leaders. People like everyone in our church leadership. That you get this awesome privilege to partner alongside this grand thing that the Lord is doing that will be brought to completion to a day where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is king and that we will be there reigning alongside him. And so as the band comes up, I want you guys to ponder this question. It's a question that you guys will get to talk about in your small group time. But ponder Jesus as king. Ponder Jesus on his throne. That is where he is at now, on his throne, reigning. But after his life, death, and resurrection, he ascended into heaven. He is on the throne. He is interceding on behalf of you and me. And he is waiting for the day where he will come and bring about the fullness of his kingdom. So as you ponder Jesus as king, what does that mean for your life? And what does that mean for you on a day-to-day basis? So I want you guys to take that time to reflect. And let me close this in prayer. Father God, thank you for Jesus. God, you are so faithful. And you sent Jesus And you fulfill all your promises. All your promises are found true in him. And Lord, we long for the day of the fullness of your kingdom to come. Lord, I pray over these next several weeks as we dive in to all of these parables that you've used to tell what your kingdom is like. Lord, that you would just grow our affections for you. That you would shape our hearts, that we would be transformed by the truth that we receive from these parables. Lord, how your kingdom works and how it does not work. 
Lord, that by your spirit we would receive these truths even when they're hard to hear and we would allow them to transform us by your spirit. We thank you so much that, Jesus, you are on your throne. We come to you now and we worship you, the King of all kings and the Lord of lords. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.